Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Well, today we are continuing with part two of an interview that I did with John DeCroyder. And in case you don't know John, he has a real passion for biblical history, and he leads regular study tours to Israel. And earlier this year, I had the opportunity to go on one of these tours, and it was life-changing for me. John has a real gift for making the Bible come alive by helping you understand the context and the culture in which the Bible was written. And while I was in Israel, I heard John share this teaching on community, and it was so powerful that I just wanted all of you to hear it. And I was kind of stumped because I thought, how is that ever going to happen? But of course, events of the last four months have changed a lot of things, and thanks to Zoom technology, uh, we actually have the opportunity to have John share this teaching with us. And what he does in this teaching is he uses four everyday aspects, or three everyday aspects of Jewish society, uh, a wedding, temples, and a stone quarry, and he uses them as illustrations to help us understand the Jewish understanding of community. And last week in part one, John talked about the Jewish approach to courtship and marriage and the role of community in it. It was such a helpful, powerful teaching. And today we're going to dive right in with part two, where John starts off with the idea of temple and how the, the, the Jewish concept of temple helps us understand community. Let's take a listen. Other ways we could look at community, it'd be temple, right? right. Of course, you go right into temple from wedding. I think, uh, but anyway, we'll, just, we'll, you, we'll, we'll just jump there. So if you look at a temple in, and and Todd, we, I've taken you there to, to Israel and, and multiple places where we saw the ruins of temples, and temples were a big deal in first century uh, the Roman world. They had temples all over the place. If you remember, Sister Philippi, we went and there was temple, 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 and there's even. The courtyard of Nemesis, was, there wasn't even room anymore for another temple, but they put an altar and incense to, to worship the god uh, uh, Nemesis, which was the goddess of vengeance. Uh, there was just places in, uh, that they could go. Jerusalem had uh, the, the Temple Mount. It was the largest temple complex in the world, uh, 36 football fields. Uh, that's American uh, football right. fields. Uh, so I know it's a little smaller than, than a, a, a normal, we'll call it a normal football field. How's yeah. that? Uh, so ma- major complex. Uh, it were, stones were just huge and magnificent. And, uh, you know, why, why would they build, build these temples? Because the, all the, everyone would worship every one of these gods. You would not dare leave one of these gods out. But you know, you might have a particular liking toward the Nike, the athletic god, or Athena, or Artemis, or you'd these different gods. Maybe you would you would prefer this one, and so you might kick in more money to the, to build this temple greater than these other temples. Uh, if there was any sort of artesian well or spring, a natural water source, you better believe there'd be a temple built right over top of that. Because what are they saying in stone? Water comes from let's say Artemis, right. water comes from Artemis. Uh, they would have free daycare. They would have free medical care. They wouldn't even ask you how much money you made. 
It doesn't matter. They'd offer free medical care. Uh, they would offer meat. They would give you meat that was sacrificed to the idols, but they were done with it. So you just go have all the free meat you wanted. They, they just wanted to demonstrate this is all these services, all these things come from our God. And the, the temple was there to declare that, wow, our God is awesome. They want you to experience, wow, the big marble columns, gold, all kinds of, of elaborate things that they would build. So let's just right. pretend our kids were going to hang out with the neighbor kids in this particular culture. And they, they invited their kids over, our kids over to go. The, the priest and priestesses were doing some sort of uh, activities for the kids. So our kids get invited over. And our kids are looking around going, wow, this is an amazing temple. What do they want you to say? Wow, Artemis is awesome. And then can you imagine that the, that the kids uh, would come and talk to our, our friends? Oh, wow, well, who do you worship? Oh, well, we worship Jesus. Oh, well, where's your temple? <laughs> and, and, you, and you'd be like, oh, okay. So you, maybe our kids would come back to our house and say, hey, 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 daddy, hey, mommy, uh, Selena asked us what, what, where our temple is. Where's our temple? And to show you that I think that question was asked, if you look into Acts 17, uh, Paul writes this, he does not live in temples made by human hands. I think they were asked the question because every God, they would have no problem with us worshiping yet another God. Okay, fine. We'll just add it to the other gods. Well, where's your temple? Mm -hmm. I think this was a real dilemma. So let's read, read a couple different passages for us this morning. We'll start with this. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple... God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Now, you may wonder, okay, what, what passage is that? They all sound <laughs> vaguely familiar, but that doesn't make any sense to me. And I, I got in the PowerPoint here. Uh, it, it's Isaiah 51, 1 and 2, connected with 1 Peter 2, 5, connected with Ephesians 2, 19, connected with 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. That's a Jewish study technique that's called stringing pearls, where I take the idea of temple right. and I juxtapose all those verses together that have to do with temple together and squish them all together and see, are there some ideas that we can pull out of those passages to help us understand what sure. that means? Sure. So in, in the context of... of uh, of a Jewish person, they would say, well, the temple is is, is in Jerusalem. Right. It's the biggest temple complex in the world. But yet God shows. So what do you say? What do you say to your, to your kid? Well, many of us would say, well, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. but, but the problem is, is that's actually not the context of those verses. If you look at that passage, the, the you there 
is plural. Okay. When we about the temple of the Holy Spirit, we have Hellenized that. We've made it about me. Right. I am not the temple of the Holy Spirit in and of by myself. Rather, it's we, you, the collective body of Christ, we are the temple, or as uh, a Texan not that long ago corrected me, he says, it's all y'all are the <laughs> temple of the Holy Spirit. It's all of us in relationship. So as Todd, as I'm in relationship with you, and as I'm in relationship with my, my friends at church, and, and with your relationship with, with Antioch there, your community as Antioch, it's as you are in relationship with one another, you all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's plural. Right. That was life-changing for me. I was like, wait a minute. Oh, then that means that my relationship with one another takes a whole lot greater importance. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, it means a whole lot more than just simply that. But then the temple is one. It's singular. So as you guys are meeting over there in Sheffield and I'm over here in Kalamazoo, it's the same community. We are collectively the temple. So let's put these ideas together. The temple advertises to the world what God is like. And can you imagine what the temple could have looked like that he would have built? Right. Look at the natural beauty you have around you. Look at the sure. natural beauty we have here. That temple could have been magnificent, but yet some reason in God's divine sovereignty and wisdom, he decides that no, it's going to be how my church lives together in community that's how I'm going to choose to advertise to the world what I'm like, because the temple advertises to the world what God is like, and he is choosing to use you and me in relation to the community. That, wow, that's, uh, that really is a paradigm shift. I, I've heard it taught like you did, that, that you, meaning like our bodies are the temple, and I'm sure yeah. there's a sense in which that's true, but, but really what it's referring to is, is the, the community of the church is the, the 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 dwelling of God? Yes, yes. Like we, you wouldn't you wouldn't look at a uh, if there's a piston on the ground in front of us, you wouldn't look at it like a wow, that's a great car, right? Well, no, uh, that's an important part of the car. In fact, sure. your car's not going to run very well if it doesn't have one of those. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's only a, a car, and it only conserves its function and purpose as well as it's in connection with all the other parts. Mm. And, and I think we like to think of ourselves so independent. No, I don't need anybody else. I think it's just me and my relationship with God. I don't know. No, it's, it's no, it's, it's only, it's me and my relationship with you, Todd. And, and, and that's how we connect with one another and, and understand that. And it's fascinating to think as well that the way that God chose to display himself is through the church, you know, that rather than building an impressive building, God is displaying himself through you and I and our quirkiness and our brokenness and our, uh, and our glory and the good things that we do. It's, it, it's us that is, yeah. the dis displays God to the world. Yeah, absolutely. And which is really challenged now. Yeah. Let's be honest in this whole COVID-19 situation where we're quarantined, we're stuck at home, we're, you know, your church is meeting online. And, and right. so we need to look for creative ways that we can interact with one another yeah. in spite of those challenges. Right, right. That is yeah, fascinating, 
fascinating. But it brings a beauty because here there is no I, there's, I, I would not be teaching at your church under any normal circumstances, right? But here I am, right, thousands of miles and kilometers away, and right. here we are. So, right. Yeah. yeah, it is what I'm thankful for. It's making some things possible that, that aren't normally possible. And there is a greater sense, I think, of unity with the wider body of Christ because we're able to, to work together in some ways, just like we are this morning, much more effectively. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are these temples built out of? Well, uh, you would need to get stones in, in the, back in those days. And so you would go to a stone quarry. So we're going to put a third image that would have been significant to back in the day. So the idea of the stone quarry, and we read out Isaiah 51, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut into the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. Uh, these stones were magnificent, and they were huge. Uh, so here, again, I got a close-up picture of this is just the retaining wall of the Temple Mount. This isn't the temple itself. We don't actually have any stones of the temple itself. It's completely gone, which Jesus predicted and, and, right. and said it would be. But all we have left is the retaining wall. We have these giant stones, but if you can look closely at this picture, you'll see that there's a uh, the an embossed so around the frame of the stone itself at the very edges it, it's pushed in a little bit and you have this framing and each one of these stones has this exact same framing and so if you look underneath that bush that you have in the wall that's a hyssop plant by the way but underneath that hyssop plant you'll see a break in the stone wall and if you take that all the way over to the corner of the building to the right that's all one stone and you can see how wide it is when you when you go to the edge of the photo there uh, but it's a giant stone uh, archaeologists tell us that the average stone is two to four tons and in fact the largest stone is 376 tons we don't even have a piece of equipment big enough on earth to move that today yet not a chisel was heard on the site of the temple, either in Solomon's day when Solomon built the temple. All the chiseling and hewning was done off-site. The stone was brought and inserted into place, and they put the next stone in. The same thing was done when Herod built this particular temple, uh, basically around the days of Jesus, actually. And it was still under construction when Jesus walked the earth, if you remember they, they were still talking about it. it took us 46 years to build the temple. And in fact, it was still being built when Jesus said okay. it's going to be destroyed. And you can imagine <laughs> they were like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Uh, <laughs> so they were, they were pretty proud of that thing. Um, but the amazing intricacy and, and great detail and every stone had its place. And in fact, I could take you underground on a tour. We didn't get a chance to do that, Todd, when you were there. But we could go underground in the stones that never saw the light of day. They looked just like the stones above ground. Wow. Every stone has its place. Every stone has its purpose and its role. And when we start to think about the body of Christ, some of us have very visible roles. Like uh, Pastor Todd, everyone knows who you are in your, within your congregation. But maybe there's some people within your congregation that not everyone knows. Mm. But they have a very valuable role and purpose within yes. your congregation. We have so, some in our congregation has a very valuable and purposeful role. They, it's not like any there's any less cuning done on those stones underground. Maybe they're less visible. Every you could say those are even more important uh, because they're they're the foundation stones. They're what's holding it together. And I, I I could show you some of these stones here that you can't even get a piece of paper between the stones. There there's no mortar. It's just dry stones. 
uh, but th they're still standing these 2,000 years later after it was constructed. The beauty and the effort placed in those stones. Now, but it took a lot of work. Wow, I'm trying not to geek out too much on the there's just the the archaeology or the uh, the, uh, sure. the the construction details here because that really is incredible to think about. No mortar. Um, one thought that I thought might be helpful for people now that you talked about the retaining wall is that what we think of as the Western Wall? Um, yes, okay. that's it, absolutely. Yeah. So the Western Wall is the closest place to the Holy of Holies uh, that. That Jews were able to go and yeah. for for, you know, for many years. Now they can actually go underground and they can get, go a little bit closer. But that's that's exactly what that is. That's the retain. Okay. That's the retaining wall. And these stones, uh, they're they're so big that we couldn't move them today, even with all of our modern equipment. No. Um, and they have no, no idea. And, and it wasn't just built there. Somehow, in Solomon's day and in Herod's day, they were able to move this in, and. And we don't know how they did it. Yeah, we we got some guesses and some you know some ideas, but yeah, it's just amazing. So, but but wow. the idea is as every stone is being prepared, every yes. stone is being in, in advance. Right. And I think this is part of the beauty of the temple. Is uh, a couple of years ago, my father-in-law helped me build a Jerusalem stone fireplace in my home. It was okay. I'll be honest, it was more my father-in-law. I was his assistant. Um, I'm not really technical in those sorts of things. But and, and I, I have a photo here on the slideshow that, that here's a couple of those stone ships. And I keep some of these stone ships in my office. I keep some of them at home, in my car, in my backpack, because these serve as reminders to me. I'm sure that if a stone had feelings, that as I'm, as I'm chipping away of the stone to make it fit better, I'm like, yeah, and that'd be painful. Right. And but but I needed that to be chipped away so that it would serve its purpose better. And I use it as a reminder for myself. I'm like, okay, Lord, that conversation was painful. Uh, Todd pointing that out in me, I, I didn't like that. I don't like it when people point things out to me. Said so, John, that's awkward. Did you yeah. realize how that came across? I don't want to hear it, and I'm sure you don't either. But those are helpful for me. Uh, you know, we we call these people. You know, we call. Uh, really wealthy people, we call them eccentric, not crazy, eccentric, right? Because <laughs> no one rubs the rough edges off. They just act weird sometimes right. because no one is willing to, to, to hewn away those really unusual spots. So we just call them eccentric. I guess it's nicer than crazy. But, but it's the idea. So when you and I are in community, when people are alone and they don't have other people rubbing alongside of them and knocking off those rough edges, um, we just don't fit well. And so as we're jostling together in that community and, and becoming the way that God has designed us to be. And so I keep these stone chips. I said, Lord, that conversation was painful. But may I look a little more like you as a result of that conversation than I did before. Todd, if you and Lauren, just all you, you live by yourself, you didn't right. interact with anybody else, you actually know less about Lauren. C.S. Lewis had this fascinating observation as he's talking about he and his good friends, uh, Ron and Charles, um, and uh, actually, uh, Ronald was uh, um, was uh, J.R. Token. Uh, but each of my friends, there's wow. something that only some other friend can fully bring out. Yeah. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to one of Charles's jokes. <laughs> Far from having more of Ronald, having it to myself, now that Charles is away... 
I actually have less of Ronald. Mm -hmm. What an interesting observation. My wife and I were out to dinner the other day and uh, with a couple and this uh, this was actually the other day months ago we were actually allowed <laughs> to go out to dinner um, right. but we were out to dinner and, and someone asked Melanie a question and I had no idea what the answer was to that question I'm like we have been married for 17 years how, how do I not know this about Melanie right and she shared that because it was in the context I just never thought to ask her it was she wasn't hiding it from me just I just never thought to ask the question so I think there's there's a beauty to that is we get to know one another in that and the same thing is true with our relationship with the Lord is all of us are interacting with God and we get to see different components of him or different experiences with him and C.S. Lewis also goes on in the book the four loves he says this in this friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself where the very multitude of the blessed which no one can number increases the fruition which each of us has of God. For every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says the old author, author is why the seraphim and Isaiah's vision are crying out, holy, holy, holy to one another, Isaiah 6, the more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. It's that idea as Todd, as you spend time with the Lord and you learn this new thing, and of course you share with your congregation, they are blessed because of that, because they learn something from that. Consequently, you learn from others, and I learn from others, and it's as, as we share our experiences it's we share a little bit about who God is, and it's the person in your congregation that maybe no one thinks it realizes from it. I, I learned something from my middle daughter Kate the other day that I never considered before. Right, she's fourteen, and Kate blessed me with an something that she learned. I'm like, Kate, I've never thought of that before. And what a beautiful, humbling thing is, but we grow as we share our experiences with God with one another. And I think it's a major component to that. So, so community then shapes us to better reflect Jesus because collectively we're having a better understanding of who Jesus is yes. with our shared experiences. Right, right. So there's also this level of community too of that I have a responsibility to you, Todd. Todd, you have a responsibility to me as we're brothers in Christ that, that we, we're called to that. And so Jesus said this, this you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. He says this, Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and alter your, offer your gift. For the longest time, I thought that said, if I know that, Todd, you've got something, I've, I've got a problem with you, Todd, and i got to talk to you about something, am I angry at you about something? Right. I have to go talk to you. That's actually not what that verse says. <laughs> of course I would go do that. But this verse says, no, if I recognize that, Todd, you have something against me, you should go talk to me, Todd, but right. for whatever reason you're not. I need to go talk to you and say, hey, Todd, I, I've just noticed there seems to be something between us. Is it, did I do something to upset you? To, that brings that to a whole new, because I'm responsible for you as my brother in Christ. So how you should have come talk to me, but you didn't. Right. So 
I'm going to come talk to you and now I'm going to be reconciled to you. And I had this with, with a friend not that long ago where I just noticed that there's something not quite right here. And we had a great conversation. I, I, I didn't realize I did something. Mm. You know, I, I, I do that all the time. I'm just blissfully unaware <laughs> of my stupidity sometimes. And, 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 and this, my friend shared with me, said, John, you said this, and it really bothered me. It really hurt. Yeah. How come you didn't say anything? I'm so right. sorry. So right. now we, we are able to reconcile it, and it's, it's, it's way good now. So, um, it's beautiful. I was, I was stunned with this. I don't know if you're familiar with, with uh, Yom Kippur. Right. Um, but uh, it's a day in the fall where this is the day where the high priest would have gone to the temple every year. Of course, they don't do it anymore. There's no temple, but they go into the temple once a year. And it's the day of atonement. They, 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 they put an altar on the incense, uh, incense on the altar for all the sins of the people. And it's this day where in Judaism, they believe that on the day of Yom Kippur, if you have not sought forgiveness for anything in the previous year, if you haven't sought forgiveness for that, it is forever in the book of life, and it is always on your record. So wow. the 10 days leading up to Yom Kippur, it's this great day of introspection. It's this great day of where people are asking one another. So I was actually doing some filming in Michigan and with a gentleman from Jerusalem, and he, came, he was over for a few weeks, and we were doing some filming together. And uh, he got a call from his buddy in Jerusalem. Hey, David, have I done anything to offend you in this last year? Because if I've done it, he called long distance from Jerusalem. If there's anything I've done to offend you in this last year, I want to know about it so I can seek your forgiveness. I think there's something lost when we don't at least consider that right. in, our, in, our, in our faith tradition today of what do we do to have an annual tradition of to clear the deck, to say, okay, we, we do this with uh, Shabbat dinner, with Sabbath dinner in my house Friday night. We sit down, and if there is something not quite right with my family, with the relationship with my daughter, with my daughters, with one another, or my wife, or whatever, anything not quite right within our family, uh, we, we, we talk about it before we come to the table uh, as a family to celebrate that Sabbath meal. And I think we need to do that, to have on a very regular basis where there's just an expectation. Uh, we make too much out of conflict. We yeah. make it into such a big deal. And so... I don't go to you, Todd, for hardly anything unless I am just so upset with you. Then I finally come and I just vomit everything on you verbally, <laughs> and and you and you're just overwhelmed, and then it's a big deal right. because I've made it a big deal as opposed to just so. Hey, did you realize you just did that? And it's a quick, quick yeah. correction. He's right. so much easier. Right. So much easier. And, and it's such a, an act of humility as well. It's a posture of humility to say, hey, I could easily have done something wrong. You know, you're just saying it's easy for me to be clueless. And, and I think so much of our, um, of the conflict that happens comes because we are unaware that we did something wrong or unwilling to admit that we might have been the cause of the problem. And we're just yeah. a lot more focused on what the other person did. And so much healing could occur if we were just simply willing to go to one another and say, you know what? Are we clear? If we're not clear, then we can repent. And that repentance yeah. and, and humility brings a lot of healing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And strengthens those relationships. That's right. uh, brings so much more joy. Yes. Wouldn't that be great if the, if the world looked at the church and said, man, these people are just, they love life. Yes. And, yeah. and look how they get along with one another. How amazing. Um, and actually, Jesus prayed for that. Right. Uh, 
one of his last prayers uh, that we have recorded in the garden, it, we read in John 17, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples, but I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, which is us, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me and have loved me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you came and sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So why, why the community? Because the sign of the community is that Jesus has come. Yeah. And, and I wonder, and if the world looks down at, and when God looks down from heaven and he sees his church, he just sees a big pile of rubble where the church just simply can't get along. So if the, if the world, if, if us living in community is a sign that Jesus has come, what is the fact that we cannot get along? What does that signify to the world? And is it possible? This is why the world does not treat the church seriously, because we can't get along. We allow all these other little things to get in the way, and we don't reflect God in the, the way in which he desires and so desires us first to be. And, and when we talk about community, it's hard. Of course it's hard, because the devil knows this verse as well. And then he's saying, okay, if that's how the world's going to know that Jesus came, I can fix that, <laughs> and I'm going to cause all kinds of strife into the church. I'm going to make those relationships so complex and difficult. It's no wonder why we struggle with community and getting along because the evil one is definitely bent and doesn't want the world to know that Jesus came. So of course it's going to be complicated and hard and difficult. So our ability to walk in community is not just for one another's sake. It's not just for, uh, for, for our own enjoyment of one another and, and you know benefiting from one another's gifts but it's also an evangelistic witness to the world um when when the, absolutely when the world sees the church loving each other well uh living in community well they see jesus they see what jesus is all about and when we're not doing that that's also communicating a message yes yes um you know it's interesting you say that uh todd because the early church uh, whole households then went up. If you look at if church history is correct, Philip took his entire household and went to Heropolis, which is now in Turkey, and his whole household, his whole community lived life among the pagans, and they wanted in. They John went to Ephesus and, and took Jesus' mother uh, with him, if church history is correct, and they lived in community, and by living in community, and so the whole Roman world saw how these brothers and sisters lived with one another. And we read in Acts, they shared with, with everyone as they had need. And so you had, it was so much a hierarchy of society where you had an equestrian, which is very high in the Roman uh, uh, culture, serving a servant within that same faith mm. community. And they just didn't know what to do with that. What what in the world are you doing? And, and they saw that and they wanted in. And I believe that this is God's evangelism strategy. They saw as they took the, the, these small faith communities and they turned a unbelievably pagan, perverse Roman culture. With only a short couple hundred years, the Roman world became predominantly Christian. I believe it was because they saw how these brothers and sisters loved one another and did community well. Mm. 
Why is community so important? Because I think this is God's evangelism strategy for us. So we talk about evangelism. This is what it needs to look like. Okay, church, how are we going to get outside? And now you're being forced to get outside of the walls of the church. You can't even meet there right now. Right. How are you going to demonstrate your love for one another and caring for one another? This is, I think, going to be our tremendous opportunity we have in our communities how can we show the world how we love one another, how we love them? And they need to look at how we can get along. Even though we have no business getting along with one another, church is diverse. It's very different. It's very unique. Yeah. Praise God. But let's celebrate that uniqueness and so that the world might know. The challenge with that is a um, hundred years after the, the, the Roman world became predominantly Christian, it became focused on building, on doctrine, on creed. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with those. Those are beautiful, wonderful things. But when the focus became those things, the church almost died 100 years later. Wow. Wow. I, we must figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think yeah, I'm really struck by this idea that, you know, when we think about evangelism, we think about going out and telling, sharing our faith and, and laying out the tenets of our, of our doctrine and saying, you know, do you want in? Do you want to believe this? And, and that's a part of it. I think we have to explain the gospel clearly to people and, and explain who Jesus was and why he died. That's all good. But, in so, but we can also be evangelistic in lots of indirect ways by loving and, and, and what you're saying is by loving one another well, we're actually sharing what God is like. We're being the temple, as you referred to earlier, that displays who God is, what the kingdom is about, and that is attractive to people. And usually that's far more effective than than us with a sales pitch, you know, trying to trying to convince exactly. people of the gospel. Exactly. I just think the other day uh, my, I have a neighbor who uh, is now watching her grandson, and she had this playground that she just could not figure out how to put together. She had this play structure, and she just asked, is there anyone that can help? Absolutely. And we had three, four, five guys there within a week, and they're building this play structure for uh, this widow, and she was just so blown away. She has yet to know Jesus as Messiah. Uh, but she's on the journey, but it's those sorts of touch points, interactions where they just, they just can't understand. Oh, let me pay you. No, no, we, we just, we just, we, we love you. We, we, we do this because we care. Um, and, and it's those sorts of things that that's, what's going to bring, uh, I, I believe that's how Fran's going to come to know Jesus. It's because this outpouring of love that she sees with her, uh, to her and one another, it's a beautiful thing. Wow. Well, John, you've already hit on this a little bit, but, you know, now that we're in the midst of right now, our church isn't meeting together publicly um, and we don't know how much longer that situation is going to continue. Yeah. But how how do we, uh, at least in general terms, maybe maybe things are you can't really speak to what it's like in covid, but um, how do we develop community with one another? What do yeah. you what do you see as some keys to that? That is a that is a great question. Um, one, I would say that you need to be intentional. Um, it, it, community is not going to happen accidentally. There is no, it, it's just that, oh, look, we have community. That just doesn't work. Uh, and so you, you, you we're, we're all got so much going on, so many different, we're pulled in so many different directions. There needs to be some intentionality. And then I would encourage you to consider starting with one person. Um, don't try to 
as a friend of mine would say, don't try to boil the ocean. Um, <laughs> start with one person at a time because community's hard. And it's going to be hard enough, Todd, for you and I to figure out to, to connect with one another in a real way. Uh, let's just start with, 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 with one or two people. And, and then I think you need to talk about and just be very, it's going to feel very mechanical at first, but just, okay, what is our purpose to being with one another? I'm just not looking for somebody to hang out with, but I'm, Todd, I would like you to ask me those hard questions. Uh, the, the, hey, how are things going for you? What, what are you, ask me the question I don't want them to ask me. You know, right. what, what I, I want those questions to be asked. What is the purpose? We're not just simply hanging out. And then I think it's really important that you set some ground rules or boundaries that um, you need to create a safe place so that I know that, okay, as I'm hanging out with this group of people, um, our conversation stays here. I need to know that what I'm sharing here is not becoming the next gossip thing. It, it, it is so difficult to have these safe people that you can, but you need to set those ground rules and boundaries and they're going to be broken and violated and you need to come back and, hey, we said we were going to do this. And then evaluate on a regular basis. How are we doing with this? I said I was going to do this. Am I doing that? Am I? And, 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 and then finally, I think you need to expect conflict. It's going to happen. And in fact, I would argue that I'm not sure community can happen until there's conflict because I need to understand. I need to see how that works through that regardless of what I did to you, Todd, you're going to care. You care about me anyway, and you're going to we're going to work through that. And the relationship is worth more to you um, than the, 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 the offense. Yes. Well, I just want to underscore what you said there, that community is not going to happen. Genuine community is not going to happen until there is conflict. That is, yeah. um, that's just the opposite of how we think. We think, oh, community right. is community is about getting along, and we all love each other, and and there's no conflict. Right. But but you're absolutely right because whenever I've worked through conflict with somebody, there's much more intimacy and trust than if yeah. we just avoided the question and not gone there, and and you know right. allowed you know kind of tempers to get frayed and voices to be raised a little bit, you know, but, but it, it was in working through that, that we build trust. Um, and yeah. that's essential for any relationship and any community to be established. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, usually with churches, they see, well, they see churches split. They see, okay, once conflict comes up, Oh, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'm going to yeah. somewhere else. And, and, um, you know, in my my own um, context here, I, I I do pulpit fill for a variety of churches in the community, mm -hmm. and it's amazing to me how many people I see in other churches that used to be part of my faith community. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't noticed. I'm like, I've met, well, one, I'm like, hey, what? My first thought in my head is like, what are you doing here? And then I realized, oh yeah, I haven't seen you in a while, and I felt bad. How in the world do you leave my community? I'm not even aware of it. Right. And they're always sheepish when I see them because they just kind of snuck away. Mm unnoticed and they they and there's just something to that and they don't really quite fit in the new faith community which they're in because they didn't do this other right if god is calling you away to another faith community by all means let's celebrate that and send you off and not don't sneak away yeah you know and, and and i see that all the time and it's just it's in the it's just it pains me to see that mm. but we're not just one little community right we're right. all one community just different reflections of the same temple and right. so we're all we're all one 
Yeah, if I can just close with, with uh, uh, and you alluded to this a few moments ago in 1 Peter 2, 5, we read this, Peter writes, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Mm. And uh, I'm excited for you, Antioch Sheffield. May uh, God start a revival beginning with you, and may it turn your community upside down uh, because the world's looking. They're struggling. They're looking for, uh, they're confused. They're scared. And may they see your uh, you're living in community and your confidence in living in the Lord that they'd like, yeah, I want to, I want to know what that is. I want to be part of it. Wow. Amen. Amen. Well, John, would you close this time? Could you just pray for us? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Todd and for Lauren and their leading uh, Antioch Church in Sheffield and for each one in that community, in that congregation. Father, may your name be glorified there as they learn to care and to love for one another in community. And right now it's challenging because we're separate physically. Lord, give them creative ways to reach out and to care for one another. And for those that are feeling very isolated and alone right now, Lord, may you make your presence known to them in a very tangible way. And Lord, may we be unified in community. Help us, Lord, it's so hard Uh, But I think it brings you such great joy when you see your kids getting along well. Father, may your name be exalted this day uh, in your church all over the world. And may the world come to know you as this, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Uh, Because as screwed up and messed up as our world is today, uh, Lord, we believe that you are the solution Uh, to all these pains and difficulties that we're facing today. May we put you on display well. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. John, thank you for speaking with us this morning, and God bless you in all that you're doing in Michigan. Thank you. God bless y'all. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.